All right, so let's turn our eyes to the scripture. Now, uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in John chapter 1. I am now going to uh, go into John chapter 2, where Jesus turns water to wine. And um, I'll come back to the map. On the third day, so this will be the third day after Jesus had just met Nathaniel. He did some traveling, and on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to them, uh-oh, he called the bridegroom. <laughs> did I miss? And said to the, oh, he, uh, he called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifest his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, I pointed this out last week. Let me point it out again. John, in describing this, calls it a sign. Okay? He doesn't use the word miracle. Why does he use the word sign? Well, uh, a magic trick is just a mind puzzle. There's nothing supernatural about a magic trick, but it can be amazing. A miracle is a supernatural event. Uh, that's amazing, but there doesn't necessarily have to be anything beyond just a, uh, a manifestation of God or an angel or a demon or something doing something supernatural. A sign, on the other hand, is a miracle that's amazing, but the word sign means it points to something else. It points to something deeper. It, it has deeper significance, significance. All right? So here's my question. If, the, if this were a classroom, I would say break into groups of three and discuss this question. What's the deeper significance that the sign of turning water into wine is, po is pointing to? What do you think is the deeper thing that we're supposed to get out of this sign? And um, we, we aren't going to break into group. I'm going to just tell you the answer. You want to skip right to the answer? Here's the answer. 
Jesus came to transform things. Jesus is the transformer. And he will transform everything. Now, in this story, true story, I want to point out three transformations that are taking place. Okay? There's a, a transformation that has to do first with, his, with Jesus' relationship with his mother. There's a transformation going on there. Secondly, there's a transformation that has to do with religion. And then thirdly, there's a transformation that has to do with all of reality. All right, that's the ultimate transformation that's coming up. But look at that. A transformation dealing with relationship, religion, and reality. Three points, same letter. I get points. I get points, don't I? Okay. All right. Still got, still got it. <laughs> you, know, you know, I work really hard at doing that. So, um, all right. So let's, uh, let's begin with the new relationship between Jesus and Mary. Okay. So we are told that Mary, and, and by the way, did, have you noticed that five verses are devoted to the interaction between Jesus and Mary? I don't, I don't think that that's wa those are wasted words, right? Something's going on. He, Mary doesn't even need to be included in this story, but five verses are devoted to that relationship. Now, probably what's going on here, if we go back to the map, is this. Jesus grows up in Nazareth. Cana is just the next town north. Okay? So this may have been a family wedding. Certainly it was people who knew each other. And here's how weddings worked. Weddings weren't just one big reception. Weddings usually were a week-long event. And great food was served, and wine was the staple. Wine was an essential part of the wedding, right, or of the wedding banquet. Now, here's the problem. You run out of wine. It's incredibly embarrassing. And Mary seems to be showing... Um, you know, extreme concern that she intervenes here. They have no wine. Now, uh, we, don't, we don't know, but maybe she was one of the church ladies, part of the, the, the banquet committee, right? They probably had a, they, they organized, right? They had uh, committees, they had, had teams that, that did things. Maybe Mary was a family member to the bride and the groom, and uh, she's part of this, this wedding feast, and they've run out of stuff to drink. So she says, Jesus, they have no wine. Now, here's how Jesus responds. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there's a lot of debate when Jesus says, woman. Is that a rude term? Well, it's, it's not a rude term. It's, it, it, it's a formal term. It's certainly, though, not a warm term. 
Um, it's a formal term. It would be kind of like, like uh, if, if Josh, who's a strapping young man, said to, uh, his, his mom told him to do something, and he's getting, he's getting up there in age, and he said, ma'am, I think that would signal, you know, um, there's a little distance here, okay? And whether the term woman or not is creating distance, certainly the next words are. What does this have to do with me? Um, a phrase similar to that is used five times in the Gospels. Do you know who speaks them to Jesus? Demons. When he goes to cast out demons, they say, Jesus, what have you to do with us? In other words, this phrase means... We're not on the same page here. And Jesus says this to his mother. Now, what's going on here? Well, simply this. And, and, and this is important too when he says, my hour has not yet come. Hour in John's gospel is always referring to the crucifixion. So what's the connection between the miracle and the wedding and, and the crucifixion? Here's, here's how we tie this all together. Mary sees this as a catering crisis. Jesus sees that doing a miracle here will launch his public ministry, which will set everything in motion and inevitably lead to the hour of his crucifixion. Right? Mary's like, there's a, there's, there's a wine problem, a catering problem. Jesus says, you don't see. It, you, I don't know if you know what you're asking here, Mom. But then, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> Mary says, go ahead fellow waiters, do whatever he says, and Jesus then turns the water into wine. Why does he, why does he say no? Why does this concern me? And then go turn around and do it. Well, she sees it as a catering problem. He sees it as the time to step into public ministry because of his heavenly father telling him, He's not obeying mom here. He's obeying dad here. Right? Um, this is not the first time Jesus has, has made a point of, of making a distinction between his earthly family and his heavenly father. All right? Um, do you remember when he was 12? And the, the family, his, his entire family travels from Nazareth to Jerusalem. They go to the temple. And they would, you know, imagine if you had to walk 90 miles, you'd get all the cousins together and all the kids together and they'd be in a group and you'd be talking with your relatives and they're singing songs and they're, you know, it, it's, it's a traveling party. And then it's time to go home and they're traveling back. And two days later they go, where's Jesus. This was the first Home Alone movie, right? They've left Jesus. 
and they, they get worried and they, and they rush back to the temple and here's what happens. They still have no wine, all right? And when his parents saw him, when he, this is 12-year-old in the temple, they were astonished and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Who's been searching your father and I? And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I don't think he's disrespecting Joseph, but he is saying, hey, remember that whole birth thing? Mary, mom, my father is God the father. Love you, Joseph. But he's, he's saying, um, my first loyalty is to my heavenly father. You know, there's another time he places some distance between his natural family and his spiritual family. Um, now, this, this is when he's 12, but now he's uh, in, his, uh, in his public ministry later on, and he's teaching in a synagogue, and his mother and brothers are knocking on the door outside saying, we want to talk to Jesus. So somebody comes in, and uh, they say, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Right? What's going on? Even they, his family, must enter into a new relationship with him. Even though they're relatives, they now need to become disciples. Even mom. Even the brothers. So Mary's response, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Right? Now, um, in essence, she has stopped asserting herself as mother she still expects him to do something, but she's no longer telling him what to do. She's saying, all right, Jesus, I'll leave it to you. And, and uh, servants, do whatever he says. Commentator D.A. Carson says this. Mary approaches Jesus as his mother and is reproached. She responds as a believer and her faith is honored. Right. So, Jesus, he's our friend. He's a friend of sinners. He's our healer. He's our fixer of problems. But let's not forget, like Mary and Jesus' brothers, we all need to remember that he is first and foremost our Savior and our Lord. So, this morning, do some of us maybe need to submit our agendas that we have for him? Do we need to submit those agendas to him and say, Lord, I'm here to serve you? All right, so first we see this whole transformed relationship between Jesus and Mary. Let me, let me point out a second transformation. That uh, has to do with religion. In uh, 
verse 6. It says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Question. Why did John include this phrase, Jewish rites of purification? I mean, isn't that just too much information? Why do we need to know what they were used for? Right? Notice it doesn't say they were used for the biblical rites of purification because there was no command. So, so what was going on here is um, before anybody would eat, if you were Jewish, uh, a tradition had formed where you had to wash your hands a certain way. The water had to drip down to your elbow and you had to, you know, I, I, there was a whole ritual you went through. Now, in the Old Testament, there was um, a commandment that the priests had to wash before doing service in the temple. But there wasn't a requirement for everybody else to have to do the hand-washing ritual. This developed over time. And like all legalisms, it became a major indicator of who the holy ones were and who they weren't. Right? I believe John mentions that these jars were used for these ritual purposes because Jesus is making a statement about dead, flavorless, oppressive legalism. He's saying, I'm, I'm coming to transform your tasteless, joyless, external religion into a flavorful, joyful, internal relationship with God. All right? You know, um, this hand-washing thing. It's not in the Bible. It's not a command. But it had become the, the sign by which people started to judge one another. Oh, they didn't wash their hands properly. They're not holy. So in Mark, it says the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Now, it doesn't say according to the Bible, but according to the traditions of the elders. Well, what's the problem? But they eat with defiled hands. You guys don't wash your hands the right way. Showing that we're the holy ones and you are unholy. Now, does Jesus just let it go? Oh, well... Different people have different traditions, whatever. No. He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy you, uh, of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do, uh, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he says, here's what you're missing. And he gives a little lesson on the difference between internal purity and external purity. He says it's not about washing your hands. It's about getting a new heart. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person, so now there's the washing of the hands, and then there's all the, uh, the food regulations. So the, the Pharisees were big on the hand washing, and we, don't, we, we just eat kosher. We wouldn't dare allow our lips to taste ham, right? Um, 
Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. You know, we are all susceptible to legalism, all right? Making man-made, externally-based practices more important than the internal heart change. Came across this interesting story. It's a story about a missionary who went to, uh, uh, to try to, to be an evangelist to people, to Dutch people. And he became friends with a lot of Dutch Christians and this is a, a, an illustration I'm going to read. He was amazed to find out how distressed the Dutch Christians were with the state of American Christians. So the Dutch are worried about you. Okay. See, they were struggling with the style of dress and the application of makeup that women in America had taken up and was now a part of the Christian culture. They felt that this was a worldly sin that had crept into the church. They would never let the world impact them and apply makeup as Americans did. His friend was amazed to see how upsetting it made the Dutch Christians. So upsetting that he saw women and men cry tears of sadness. He watched those tears run down their face and drip off the edge of their nose, and drip into their beer, and over the top of their cigarettes as they lamented the worldliness of American Christians. Now, you know, I'm not advocating, you know, cigarettes and beer. I don't have a big opinion on makeup. The little rouge doesn't hurt, you know. Um, But isn't it interesting how we can make external things so important? You know, you know why we do that? Because it's easier to judge by some external things than doing the hard work of repentance and having our hearts transformed. Okay? So I think this is a, a good passage to just say, have I, have I kind of slipped into a legalistic thing where where the rituals and the externals have become more important than the internals. All right? Now, last thing. And this is really the heart of the miracle. The sign of, of Jesus transforming water into wine points to the greater truth that Jesus has come not only to transform our relationships and to transform our religion, but he's going to come back and transform all of reality itself. When he returns, all of reality will be radically changed. First of all, he's going to change us. 1 John 3.2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You know, not only are Bob and Cliff in heaven, Bob and Cliff are perfect now. 
right? I don't know what that means. You get like a 30-year-old body? I, you know, who, I, don't, I don't know, bodily, but, but there's no more sin. And we will be like Jesus. Now, what a lot of us don't think about is that when Jesus returns, he's going to transform not only believers, but the entire earth. Remember, the earth is cursed. The world is cursed. <laughs> right there, it's part of the curse. Uh, was that? All right, so, so look at this. Romans 8 says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. You know, earthquakes and tornadoes and freezing cold weather and COVID and um, death itself, that's all part of the, of the cursed world we live in. Bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just like we're going to be transformed, the world is going to be transformed. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pain of childbirth until now. I'm told that childbirth hurts. Is that right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Can't be as bad as the cold I had. But isn't it interesting that, that Jesus, or Paul here, uses the concept of the pain of childbirth to describe the condition of the pain that this world is in right now? Right? But it's all going to change. Do you know why some Christians are so miserable? I think we, f we forget what time it is. We forget that we are still in this time zone here. So here's, here's the fallen world. And there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. And we're in this kind of middle age where, where um, yes, the Holy Spirit's inside of us. And hopefully we can, you know, notice the difference in one another. Hopefully it's not that we're sinless, but we do sin less. Okay? But you know what? I don't know about you. I'm not perfect yet. Just talk to anybody in the front row here. I am not perfect. Okay? And we still live in a cursed, painful, fallen world. We're not here yet. And, and here, here's what's so deceptive. The images we see constantly in the media, on TV, on the internet, try to sell everything as perfection. Go to Sandals or wherever that is, and it's paradise here on earth. Buy this weight loss product, and you too can have the perfect body. Use this management technique and your business will be like heaven here on earth. Or come to this church where all the happy people, go. you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, a, you have to sell. I mean, you don't want to put an ugly picture up for your business. But it's selling an image that's not real and we can buy into it. And I think it's just healthy to, to remind ourselves we're not here yet. No, we're not here. But we're, we're still here. 
and the best is yet to come, and it will come. Let me, let me close with, uh, with this verse from Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, so this is talking about the, the new age, the new heaven, the new earth, okay? Uh, he'll make a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Wine is what's served at the banquet in the new heaven and the new earth. So Jesus turns water into wine. Wine is the symbol that, yes, the new world is coming. Okay? But what, what else is going to happen? And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people. I think that's referring to just the curse. It's going to be swallowed up. And how do we know? The veil that is spreading over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. No more funerals. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Um, this same concept that, he, that the Lord God himself will wipe away tears from all faces, that's repeated in, in Revelation 21. And um, I was at, at a funeral. Um, I asked the question, so how is, how is so-and-so right now? How's Cliff? How's Bob? And I say, they're doing great. Because God himself wipes away the tears. The Revelation says, no more pain. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? No more pain. No more death. But I always, I always point out that uh, God could have appointed a tear-wiping angel. Okay? Or a former nurse to do the tear-wiping. But he himself wipes away the tears. Okay? So, last thought. Um, and maybe you've heard this story before, but I, I think it's a, a great way to, to end. So there was a true story of a couple. And they spent their life serving the Lord in missions. And they were, they were old, and they were retiring, and they got on a ship with their one a piece of luggage with all their possessions in it, and they were, their bodies were broken, they were tired, and as they got on the ship back to America, uh, as they pulled into the dock, they realized that there was a, uh, a, a parade, a band welcoming somebody on the ship. It wasn't them. Teddy Roosevelt was on the ship. And he just had gone overseas and come back, and they had this big celebration, this big homecoming for Teddy Roosevelt. And they just kind of slithered away, and the man was rather upset. And um, his wife said, they, and they got a cheap little hotel, his wife said, what's the matter? He goes, I'm just, you know, we, we give our life serving the Lord we're broken. We've got nothing left. And here this politician, he goes uh, just overseas for a few days, comes back, and they give him a big homecoming parade, and we get nothing. And she said, honey, why don't you just take a few minutes and go talk to the Lord? So he goes in the bedroom and closes the door, and 
A few minutes later, he comes out with a big smile on his face. And she, she, she said, what, what are you smiling about? He says, well, I told the Lord it wasn't fair that this politician got this big homecoming and we got no homecoming parade. And the Lord spoke to me. She said, what did he say? He said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Let's pray. Oh Lord, forgive us for forgetting what time zone we're in. There's a new heaven, a new earth coming. Perfection. Fellowship with you. And Lord, this this earth we're on, it's not all bad. There's many blessings. But remind us that, that we're still in a cursed world. And all the pain will be taken away one day. And thank you, Jesus, for tipping off your amazing ability by turning water into wine. And we look forward, Lord, to living according to that promise that you are bringing a new heaven, a new earth, taking away pain, taking away death, taking away sin. And Lord, our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen.